Hello and happy spooky season, stoners. You've made it to the podcast for stoners by Stoner Chicks. I'm Kayla Teal. I'm Stephanie Thompson. And I am Phoebe Richards. Uh, 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 uh. Boo! <laughs> yes, it's more than halfway through October when you hear this, and we are spooked out. <laughs> Yes, this is our special first of our series of little spooky episodes. First of two. First First of of two. two. (laughs) (laughs) And there's only three of us. Oh, yes. Grace couldn't make it. Yeah, her puppy is not feeling too good and she has to take care of him. So hopefully by the time you hear this, he's all better, baby. And Kayla, don't you have something to share with us from a listener? I do. We got an awesome message from a listener, somebody who we're friends with on Patreon. They sent us a message after our Buy Weed from Women episode, where we talked a little bit about consciously finding brands that are grown by women. We also talked in a recent episode about legacy growers, finding out if you can buy weed from them. And they had some experience to share. So I'm going to read what they said. They said, I'm halfway through the Biweed for Women, and I wanted to share some insight that I picked up working in a dispensary in Seattle. A, farms are realizing consumers care about who is growing their weed. And as a result, more big farms are listing their wives and other women as owners to be considered a woman-owned business, but they're They're basically only in name only. And there's men at the top making all the decisions. Some examples of Washington brands that fall into this category are Fat Panda, Constellation, and Western Cultured. And I remember when we had Bethany on the podcast. I was just about to say that. I remember Bethany talking about that. Yeah, she said that that is a common practice in Washington. I don't know if it's a common practice elsewhere, but where dudes will put their wives' name as the owner just so that they can land on lists of woman-owned businesses, but without actually being woman-owned or run. And then they go on to say the closest to actually woman-owned farms that they know of is Falcana and Ravengrass. I recommend y'all find some Ravengrass and talk about the brand on a future episode. Dope. We will do that. They're doing everything right from the label to the smoke. Hands down the best offering in the state. B, the same thing is happening with dispensaries. For example, Sean Kemp, a former Sonic player, has is the face of a dispensary in Seattle and is touted as black owned, even though he only makes up 10% of the ownership and the rest of the ownership are white dudes. Yeah. And I am upset about that place for the reason for no other. There's reasons, but for another reason that they didn't get the pun. They didn't call it Sean Hemp's. They called it Sean Kemp's Cannabis. I know that's a really big missed opportunity. You're right. Sean Hemp, hello. Come on. Come on. So the only true woman-owned dispensary that they're aware of in town, so a dispensary that's woman-owned, is called Hashtag. And that's a husband and wife team, but she actually has ownership of the company. They said Hashtag is a wonderful dispensary that is aware of its place in the market and it's constantly working to improve the space. They're deserving of all of our money. So that's local to us. Some examples. Thank you so much for sending us that message. We're definitely going to check out Ravengrass. We already have 
proclaimed what huge fans of Falcana we are here. And if you haven't heard the Bethany episode, I think it's episode 37. You can go back and listen to it. But wherever you are in the country, and if you're in a legal market, definitely try to figure out who you're buying your weed from. And if you agree with their business practices, if you like what they're doing, if they're using sustainable packaging, that's an important one for me, which Bethany does. Yeah, everybody look into where you're buying your weed from. Maybe develop some brand loyalty to a company you really believe in. Be a responsible stoner. (laughs) Absolutely. (laughs) And I'm going to smoke my bong. Oh, please do. I just smoked my mermaid pipe and it's my first high of the day. I'm pretty happy about that. First high, best time, right? This is like my fifth high. Fifth (laughs) high, still a high. (laughs) (laughs) What about you, Steph? I'm going to smoke a little of my galactic glue. Oh. Yum. In my bong, my bong called Wan, not Wanda. <laughs> what, what, what did you almost say? Wanga. <laughs> it's a mixture of bong and Wanda. It's like the evil twin of my a bong called Wanda is a bong called Wanga. Always up to no good. Yum. Yum, yum, oh. yum. That gets me nice and ready for what we're about to do. What are we about to do? Well, I thought we'd hawken back to the ages of radio. Oh, <laughs> radio on a podcast, you say? <laughs> on a podcast, you say? Yeah, and we do an old-fashioned mystery radio play. Is it a mystery? I was thinking we'd do a spooky radio show. Oh. Hell yeah. What's the name of it? Oh, we'll get to that. Oh. <laughs> oh, I'm so excited. <laughs> I don't know anything about what's about to happen, but I have been given lines. So, okay, and I have some different sound effects ready to go. So, Steph, when you want the little organ, let me know. Okay. Spoiler there's an organ. <laughs> Come in. Welcome. I am Stephanie Thompson, and welcome to the world of terrifying imagination. Our story deals with suspense, mystery, and fear. Fear is what happens when you expect the horrifying to be real. Here is our story, The Stoner's Curse. Our story begins with a plucky stoner on a family retreat deep in the woods. Our stoner is itching to get high, but with their family all around, it proves difficult. (laughs) Finally, a moment of relaxation for the family is a perfect time for our stoner to sneak out. The stoner packs a backpack, feigning a small hike in the woods. I'm going for a hike! (laughs) <laughs> the family mumbles a few affirmatory remarks, but the head matriarch, Grandma, turns her head and her eyes lock onto the stoner's eyes. After a long pause, she turns her head to look out the window. Weather's unpredictable out there. It can change at any time. Be careful. Of course, don't stray from the trail. Couple of hippies got lost out there decades ago, and they never found the bodies. A pit developed in the stoner's stomach, but the desire to get high outweighed Grandma's warning. 
Our stoner opened the front door and stepped out and headed over a grassy hill to the tree line, where a small trail started. Once the stoner stepped through the tree line, all the stoner could see were large conifers spaced out almost perfectly, like someone placed them there deliberately. There were a few clouds in the sky, but not many, and the stoner thought they could hear a wolf howl in the distance. After our stoner made it a few steps down the path, they'd take out a joint from their backpack and placed it to their lips to light it. A few puffs into the joint, the stoner starts to walk again. However, this time, the stoner feels like they're being watched. Who, who's there? I, is that you, Margaret? The stoner thought their annoying cousin might have followed them into the woods. Stop playing around, Margaret! Our stoner started to pick up their pace along the path. They couldn't see the beginning of the trail any longer. The trees started to sway and creak. The sky grew darker and the clouds started to form. The sky opened up and it was like a bucket of water was being dumped from the clouds. The stoner's joint immediately got soaked and the stoner started to run under, under a tree, but the rain seemed to blow sideways and they still were getting drenched in water. In the distance, the stoner could see a small house or cabin off in the woods just off the beaten path. The stoner started to run towards his house in order to get out of the pouring rain. The house, if you could call it that, was very dilapidated and run down. A roof was still intact, and a huge wooden door was up a few steps to the front of the house. Our stoner made their way up the steps to the huge door. Anyone home? Our stoner steps through the threshold and looks around. The inside of the house is even in worse shape than the outside. There are large holes on the floorboards, a ramshackle fireplace, a couple of chairs are tossed upside down on the floor, and a small table is off to the side and looks to have a few objects on top of it. The house appeared to have only one open room, with the exception of a door that looked like it led down to a basement. Our stoner frantically looks through their backpack looking for another joint to smoke as they wait out the storm. They realize all their joints are saturated with rain. Aw, oh, man, my joints are all wet. Our stoner tugs off their wet sweatshirt and drops it to the floor. Looks like I'm here for a while. The stoner looks around the small one-room house. Their eyes start to scan to the table with the objects on it. Upon closer inspection... The stoner discovers that one of the objects appears to be a bong. <gasps> no way! This was no ordinary bong. The base was the shape of a skull. Or was it a skull? The cylinder turned, looked to be a hollowed-out femur bone. Or was it a bone? <laughs> it appeared to have a red substance dried on it. Blood, perhaps? <laughs> Our stoner did not care. 
They were just delighted they had found a bong. And it was loaded. All of a sudden, the stoners started to get that feeling again. The feeling that they were being watched. Who's there? You're going to die. The stoner jumped to look behind them. There was no one. Nothing. The uneasiness increased, and our stoner was just about to gather their things and make a run for it when... The stoner looked to the front door and could see a dark figure from the window. The figure seemed to lurch forward and the doorknob started to turn. The stoner's only exit was now obstructed by this dark figure. Our stoner frantically looked around for an escape. The basement door. The stoner threw open the basement door as the front door started to open. As the stoner turned to shut the basement door behind them, they tripped and down the stairs they went. Ooh. The basement was pitch black. The stoner pulled out a book of matches to provide some light. The stoner fumbled with the matches. (laughs) All the stoner could see with the glow of this match was a concrete floor covered in stains. All the stoner could hear was their own heavy breathing. (gasps) The stoner crawled to their knees, and as the match burnt out, it was pitch black again. (gasps) That's when our stoners started to feel something touching their legs. It felt like a bony finger running up and down their legs, and then a grip so tight they thought it was a vice. Let go of me! The stoners started to move across the floor. They were being dragged. No! Their nails scratched along the floor, bits of fingernails left behind. No! Suddenly the basement filled with a bright flame, and out of the flame another figure formed. The figure had a long, snarled hair and a face materialized. It was part skull, part flesh, with skin hanging from its cheeks. The figure had a long cloak, and it was torn and covered in blood. They reached out with its bony finger and pointed at the stoner. You! You have woken me from my slumber. You have desecrated the sacred bong and have summoned me. You stoners are all the same. You come into my woods, smoke my bong, and now you get what you deserve. (laughs) The ground started to rumble and the floor opened up. The crack got larger and opened up to a demon hellscape with screaming people below. The people were reaching up for help. Help us! There's no weed down here! (laughs) And with a last witch cackle... (laughs) 
The stoner started to slip into the abyss. The ground trembled and groaned as the floor began to close up again, and the stoner falling into the hellscape. family retreat. The storm started to let up and the stoner's family started to grow concerned as the stoner hadn't returned from their hike. They began to search of the woods to find the stoner. After a thorough search, all the family could find was the stoner's backpack sitting under a tree. No cabin, no house, nothing else. The family was distraught that the stoner was nowhere to be found, no trace anywhere. The only person in the family who didn't seem upset was Grandma. She just continued to stare out the window. I warned them. I told them all. These woods are cursed, I tell ya. Cursed! They call it the stoner's curse. <laughs> Bravo, you two. What a great collaboration. Just a couple technical difficulties, but it all come out in the wash. Yeah, hopefully after the wash, you didn't even notice the technical difficulties, Stoners. Exactly. The wash gets rid of every little spick and span stain. <laughs> and with that, I think it's time for a smoke break. Be careful. Ooh. Don't look Good. behind you. Don't <laughs> say Bloody Mary three times in the mirror. Ooh. Welcome back, stoners. Hope you're not still shaking in your boots from that terrifying radio play. <laughs> If I may say, I was shaken. <laughs> Palms were sweaty. I have something I want to talk about today that I think is spooky. It's not quite a ghost story, but in a way, it kind of is. I'm going to talk about the phenomenon of young children claiming to recall their past lives. Now, I will preface this by saying I don't know that I necessarily believe in past lives, but I also don't necessarily not believe it. <laughs> I think a healthy amount of skepticism is good. And really, in the end, all I know is there's stuff we don't know. And I don't have the answers. I don't think a lot of people have the answers, but there are people out there doing research on some of this. And my source for this segment is the Netflix show surviving death and i'm also going to be doing some more material with surviving death as my source in next week's spooky episode but this one i'm going to tell some stories that were on the last episode of surviving death on netflix well actually first have you do you two have you ever heard of these kinds of accounts sort of not really okay i have yeah you've heard about like kids 
saying yeah, saying that like they're like I remember fighting in the war. <laughs> yes. Okay. <laughs> yeah, you're that is pretty. <laughs> there is a story about just like that. <laughs> I think that should be our next radio play. <laughs> <laughs> but the reason I'm interested in this is because it happened in my immediate family. My brother did this when he was little. Maybe around, like, three or four years old, I would guess. He went to my mom, and he told my mom that he remembered being an older Japanese man. What? Yes. Now, what would prompt a four-year-old to say something like that? Like, does he even know yeah. where Japan is or what it is? Like, I don't know. It has to be true. <laughs> Well, yeah, he said he re- he told us he remembered being an older Japanese man and that he died while riding his bicycle oh. at a four-way intersection. He got hit by a car on his bicycle. Isn't that random? That is crazy. Yeah. Yeah, and I called him this morning to make sure I had my details straight, and he was like, now it just feels like a weird dream I had. So maybe huh. it was just a dream, but what a weird dream to have and then to feel the need to speak up about. And, like, tell us about. Because I don't, I mean, it's such a weird dream to have that you're dying on a bicycle. And that you're somebody else, not yourself. Yeah. Usually when you dream yourself. Someone very removed from you and you're young. That's true. And he imagined himself as way older. I'm sold. I think that's real. I need no more proof. (laughs) I would would bet everything I have on this. Okay. Well, I have a couple of stories to tell you. (laughs) And now... A young boy named Atlas, a year and a half years old, his mother accounts him having really intense night terrors. So just as screaming as though they're in pain for sometimes up to an hour at a time in the middle of the night. She said this happened for years. And at age five, out of nowhere, Atlas says, I miss when my mom took me to the playground. And his mom said, Oh, you mean when I took you to the playground? And he said, No, my other mom with the really pretty hair. What a creepy... I know, like, what's wrong with her hair? (laughs) She's like, okay, sick burn, but we'll move on. (laughs) And she said that this came out of nowhere after years of night terrors. And she went to the pediatrician and the pediatrician and no one really had any good advice for her. Like, what do you do with a kid, un, a toddler having night terrors? Like, I don't know. So she started to press him with questions. And she said, if you had another family, what were their names? And he said, quote, my mom's name was Washington, but my name was Jalen Robinson. <laughs> Very specific. And he said, when I was this child, someone killed me. <gasps> And his mom did not know what to make of this or where he would come up with A, that full name, or B, even the concept of humans killing each other. Yeah, how old is he? Five at this point. Huh. When he tells his mom that when he was a, a child, someone killed him. She thought, is this like someone's name from school? Where did he get that name? So she started Googling the name and she finds a headline babysitter is charged with the murder of 19-month-old Brooklyn boy. No. So that article pops up when she starts typing in Jalen Robinson death. And she 
looks in the article and there is indeed a 19-month-old boy named Jalen Robinson who was murdered by his babysitter and his mother's name, Carrie Washington. Wow. So in this incident, Jalen died in 2005 and Atlas was born in 2014. So she's freaked out. She's never heard of this happening. She's really scared. And so she starts Googling, like, if this has happened to anyone else or if any other kids out there have experienced this phenomenon. And she finds a medical doctor in at the University of Virginia named Jim Tucker, who has been studying this very phenomenon for almost 20 years. So she sends him an email and tells him everything that Jalen or that Atlas told her. And then they they bring Jim Tucker onto the documentary, and he says that the average age for children to start talking about this is around two to three years old, when they're kind of finally able to communicate. And he's most fascinated with these accounts from kids because they're very unlikely to be able to identify obscure figures from history, because where would they even get that information? They can't read in most cases. Yeah. But... He says that it happens all the time, and he's kind of become the number one expert. He's a, I think, child neuroscientist or child psychologist, one of those two things. Let's get him on the pod. (laughs) (laughs) I know, right? So Jim Tucker, they filmed this, went to their house, and he goes into a whole spiel about he's always really skeptical. He wouldn't put it past somebody to lie about something like this for attention or whatever. So what he does is he does a test where he... He printed out four pictures or several pictures of playgrounds, held them up for the kid, and the kid very confidently pointed and was like, that one. And that was indeed the playground that was near Jaden Robinson's Brooklyn home. He also very quickly and confidently identified a picture of Jalen Robinson's mother, father, and the front door of their house. When given options... He was just like, that one, that one. And his mom's looking at him like, whoa, what? This is wild. So Jim Tucker did the research and then they filmed that, him doing that. It was wild. And so that is the case of Atlas and Jalen. Wow. Here's my question on that one. A 19-month-old died Mm -hmm. and they know their full name and their mother's full name and can transfer that information to yeah. a five-year-old? That's crazy. I yeah. agree. I was wondering about that, too. And that you're right. Like, maybe a 19-month-old wouldn't know his mom's last name, but I guess one that has died and gone through yeah, whatever. Yeah, the other side. Whatever happened. If this, if let's say, assuming past life reincarnation is true, then wherever you are in between lives, I mean, I'm sure you gather some intel or understanding. Over there, all the dead babies are like the baby Huey from Who Framed Roger Rabbit. I have no idea. (laughs) (laughs) That reference, I don't know. You've never seen Who Framed Roger Rabbit? I think I did when I was a kid. (laughs) Yeah. You know what I mean, right? It's like the little cry. It's like a baby because he's drawn a baby, but he's like a crass man. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sorry, but I'm sure there's people out there really enjoying this reference right now. Um, I don't know. Okay, and this final story is from a little boy named James. (laughs) This final story is from a little boy. (laughs) Great. (laughs) His name is James Leninger, 
who remembers being a man named James Houston. Hmm. So, same thing as with the other kid, it started with really intense nightmares, where from a very young age, James would be kicking and punching like almost as if he was in a box trying to get out. His mom said this happened all the time. This was happening even before he could talk. Once he could talk, he started saying things in his sleep while he was having these nightmares. And she deciphered him saying, airplane crash, on fire, little man can't get out. And the next day, the mom asked, who's the little man? And he said, me, James. And they were like, well, your name is James. Does James have any friends? And the little boy says, Jack Larson is my friend or was my friend. So when he was three and he started drawing, he started doing drawings of World War II fighter jets and bombs and other weird shit that three-year-olds don't draw. He starts, and they showed pictures of all his drawings from when he was a little kid of crashing airplanes. So they took him to, at one point, a flight museum when he's maybe five, and he pointed at every single plane from the era of World War II and could name all of them what they were called. And his parents had no idea. They were like, we didn't teach him this. <laughs> and he could name all the planes. All he wanted to play, all his toys were airplanes. And when he started like role-playing, like, like uh, we might have been playing house or whatever, he would role-play plane crashes with his toy planes. So one day... He just, out of the blue, very nonchalantly says to his mom, Mama, before I was born, I was a pilot, and my airplane got shot in the engine and crashed into the water. So now that he's made this declaration, they're starting to tie together the nightmares, the play, the drawings. And another weird thing they said is that spontaneously one day, he knew how to spell and write his name. And they didn't teach him that. That's crazy. Wow. And he started signing his name, James 3. And they were like, why are you writing James 3? And he was like, because I'm the third James. So after he tells them that his airplane was shot his in the engine and crashed into the water, the dad said, who shot your plane down? And he said, the Japanese. He said, how did you know it was the Japanese? And he said the big red sun, like describing the flag. Right. And the dad asked, where did your plane come from? And he said, a boat. And they said, do you know what the boat was called? And he said, the Natoma. So the, the dad starts trying to research. And this is in the early aughts where there wasn't, not everything was available on Google. So you had to like go on forums and ask people on the internet and try to figure it out. So he finds the USS Natoma is a real World War II ship. He also finds out that there's only one guy from this ship who died in a plane crash, and it's James Houston. The name is confirmed. Whoa. There's also another pilot on his crew called Jack Larson. And his dad is able to figure out where the plane was crashed, the whole story. So the kid is now getting a little older. They end up connecting with James Houston's sister is still alive. 
And they go and they introduce this little kid, James, to the sister. And they, like, hit it off. He was all calm and gentle with her. And they were acting like they were old friends. Weird. This little kid and this old, old lady were just, like, connected. Okay, I'm sold on this one. Yeah, this is a wild one. So there's footage of them. They also went as far as taking James to Japan to the site of the plane crash. Whoa, when he was how old? I think eight. Woo! And there, they have like home video footage that they showed of James see- looking out onto the water and seeing where that plane crashed and just starts bawling. And he said Aww. he felt a sense of like closure. And after that, he was able to like be a lot happier because he was still having these night terrors. He remembered what it was like to be in a plane crash. Like he basically remembers the crash. And so that's like super traumatizing because he says he remembers the emotions of feeling of knowing you're going to die and accepting that and feeling that sense of dread. And that's what those night terrors were, essentially. Oh, my goodness. So today, James is an adult. So they were interviewing him for the documentary and he talks about it like it's a totally it's just a normal part. Of his life, he says if he really tries, he can still recall the memory of the crash, but he really tries not to. He kind of has like <laughs> built up some like mental boundaries around that because it's a horrible feeling, so he doesn't like to feel it. Yeah. That one's a wild story. It is. It is. I fought in the war. Yeah. <laughs> I fought in the war, Mom. Mom. <laughs> So this is, yeah, this is just a phenomenon. And that guy says it happens often enough that he's been studying it for 20 years, meeting with families, talking to kids, giving them those tests to kind of see. And the ones he says are most fascinating and it are a little more rare is when they're able to actually recall a name and a place and a time. And like, like my little brother didn't, he wasn't able to do that. He just kind of generally knew who he was and that he was on a bicycle. Oh, yeah. wow. Spooky. Spooky. <laughs> so that's my spooky story for this week. Stay tuned for more spooky stories next week, where Grace and I are going to talk about near-death experiences. Oh. So if you've heard of this phenomenon, as if it's happened in your family or to someone you know, definitely write in. And tell us about it, and we can read your past life stories on the podcast if people are interested in that. I, I while I don't know, I don't have firm set beliefs on this. I think it's fun to hear about. Agreed. I totally agree. I love hearing all different stories like that. Yeah, and a lot of the in surviving death on Netflix, which I recommend. There's a lot of medical doctors who you know, encounter these types of things and are faced with like, okay, this is not a provable science thing, but there's almost an overwhelming amount of evidence suggesting that there's just a lot we don't know about consciousness, about death, about life. There's so much about those particular laws of the universe that we just don't have answers to. Scary stuff. (laughs) Well, thank you, listeners. We hope you are having a great lead up to Halloween. Check out our website, stonerchickspodcast.com, to find out what we're up to. Get linked to anywhere you want to find us, including via email at stonerchickspodcast at gmail.com. You can reach out to us about anything, but you mostly 
Mostly. You mostly can reach mostly. out and tell Stephanie your high thoughts. We love hearing your high thoughts. Check us out on Instagram at Stoner Chicks Podcast, Twitter at Stoner Chicks Pod, Broccoli Rods on TikTok. We can become a subscriber on our Patreon to get bonus episodes, merch, Ooh. a shout out on the podcast, and more. We have almost 30 bonus episodes on there waiting for you now at this point. So many bonus episodes. Yeah, check that out. Patreon.com slash Stoner Chicks. Anything else? Anything else you guys want to say? Mm, keep getting every day through. <laughs> <laughs> or you'll get the stoner's curse. The stoner's curse. There's no weed down here. Well, that answers my question of what do stoners always say. <laughs> All right. Bye, listeners. We love you. Goodbye. Bye-bye-bye. Smoke your weed. 